This is the Old Radio Show's podcast. Good evening, this is Orson Welles. Just saying hello before the show starts. This is your radio almanac for the first week of February. It's a bad time for gardeners, February. By day it wheedles the buds out of the bushes, and by night it blisters them. God only knows why this aborted adelaide among the months, this wayward leap, catarrhal, fly, and stunted, altogether unreliable month should get another day on leap year. Doesn't deserve it. February 2nd is Candlemas, and a very good day for beautiful music. Two of the greatest violinists the world has ever known, Fritz Kreisler and Yasha Heifetz, were born today. Jack Benny was born in March. <laughs> the uh, groundhog came out this morning and looked around for his shadow. If he didn't see it, he didn't want to. The moon is in the second quarter for just about another hour tonight. Me and my shadow. I beg pardon? Uh, strolling down the avenue. Excuse me, sir. You look just like a groundhog. I am. Well, you saw your shadow groundhog. Why aren't you back in your hole? Well, you know the housing problem. I just looked out for a minute and some other people moved in. <laughs> What's that, lady? I beg your pardon. First time you ever heard a talking groundhog, I bid you welcome to the sign of the flying red horse. And every week at the same time over these same stations, the makers of Mobile Gas and Mobile Oil bring you Orson Welles. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our distinguished guest department brings you now one of the stars of Metro Goldwyn Mayer's new production, a guy named Joe. He's a good friend of ours in the Mercury, and an old friend of yours, and a great actor, Lionel Barrymore. Well, Lionel, or perhaps I should say uh, Dr. Gillespie. <laughs> perhaps you shouldn't say Dr. Gillespie, Orson. You know, I'm not really a doctor. I merely act the part of a doctor. Just like you, Orson, can play a part, too. You're not really a comedian. Oh, you've been reading Hedda Hopper. <laughs> you, Lionel, how can you say I'm not a comedian? Haven't you seen those big ads in the paper? They say, Orson Welles, comedian. Ah, you read it wrong. It said, Orson Welles, comedian? <laughs> also, I've seen the newspaper criticism of your opening program last week. Oh, the notices in the newspaper? What did they say? Are you still looking for a place to live in Los Angeles? Yes. Well, don't do it. <laughs> Here's a review from the Los Angeles Examiner. Well, let me see. Amusement. Hmm, page five. Here we are. Page five. Amusement. Radio, that's not under amusement. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. Page eight. Here's page 8, radio. For review of Orson Welles' show, see page 12. Uh-huh, 10, 11, 12. Here it is. Page 12. Obituaries. <laughs> well, here's a paper that's always been very nice to me, the Tijuana Stable News. <laughs> Listen to this. La semana pasada principio nueva programa con Orson Welles bajo los auspicio de mobile gas. Y también de Mobile Oil. Y ahora transcribimos un nuevo boletín con últimas noticias sobre The Flying Red Horse, page 420, 360, and 280. 
Oh, who cares about reviews? When it comes to newspaper notices, I don't give a... I said I don't give... Uh-oh, it's one of the boys from upstairs. Lionel, this is Mr., uh... Mr. Peebristle. I'm the censor. Censor. Censor, censor. Oh, yes, censor. Better known as vice president of... You can't say that. People are having dinner. Well, Mr. P. Bristle, what's on your evil little mind today? You know very well what's on my mind, Mr. Wells. It's those love scenes of yours. You've been breathing heavy again. Well, what if I do breathe heavy? What harm does it do? What harm? Last week, 6,000 Sinatra fans who were just recovering swooned all over again. It's very disheartening. Well, now look here, P. I... Bristle. Look here, Mr. Wells can't help the way he breathes. What would you do if you had to play a love scene with Eddie Lamar? <laughs> Happy little monster, isn't he? Now, really, Mr. Wells, you're going to have to cut down on the way you heave your chest around. I'm going to have to stop reading Lionel's lines, too. Just how am I going to accomplish that? How am I going to accomplish the uh, feat of stopping to heave my chest around? Well, try breathing with just one nostril. One nostril? Yeah, let's hear it. Say something romantic with one nostril. Or like this? Like this? Mm-hmm. Ah, Katishin. Please. Ah, Katishin, for years I have adored you with a white heart passion. With a white heart passion. That is slowly but surely consuming my very vitals. Now, now, even on one nostril, you're not blasting Sinatra. Well, how do you like it, Lionel, with me holding one nostril? Okay. I was holding both nostrils. <laughs> Mr. Wells, I'm afraid you'll have to stop breathing altogether. Now... Whatever gave you the idea there was too much romance in his voice? Oh, I can tell just by watching my wife. The first time she listened to Mr. Wells, she just sort of glowed a little bit. Glowed? Yes, but lately you got her lighting up like a pinball machine. <laughs> There's tilt, too. Hey, Bristol, I'm afraid I can't be held responsible for the voltage of your wife. Any other complaints? Yes, well, this scene here, this has got to come up. What scene? You know, where you show the girl your stamp collection? Yes. Then you start to play gin rummy? Yes. Then you ask her if she'd care for a glass of ginger ale? Yes, what about it? Just what are you leading up to? <laughs> no, I'm afraid I'll have to cut the whole thing. <laughs>
ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we on this program have a friend, a real peach of a fellow, who always picks up the check, the sponsor. Uh, now, this sponsor of ours has been so very nice to us in the Mercury. We took a vote earlier this evening, we members of the cast, and we voted unanimously in favor of allowing a commercial to be heard on this program. There are, of course, many types of commercial announcers. There's the friendly type. You've heard him. Friends. <laughs> Friends, you see spots before your eyes. Do your tonsils backfire on hills? Well, pal, light up a midgie. Midgies come in a choice of three distinctive tips. Plain, cork, and sandpaper. <laughs> Smoke a midgie and file your nails at the same time. You see, friends, midgies are a rare blend of the finest aromatic Turkish towels. The makers of midgies found that most smokers throw away the last half inch of cigarette. I should throw away this script. <laughs> throw away the last half inch of cigarette, and this is a waste of tobacco. That's why midgies are made three quarters of an inch shorter. And here's the saving. Midgies are six inches in diameter. And remember, friends, midgies come scented, not like other faintly scented cigarettes. Midgies really smell. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, we don't have that sort of announcer. We have, well, we have Jack Nasser, and here he is. Hello? Well, you see, he's almost sulky. Come on, Jack, tell us what the mobile gas you buy today is packed with and try to be nice about it. Well, everybody knows that mobile gas is packed with miles. You mean the 1944 mobile gas gives you all the mileage that you got from peacetime mobile gas? That's right. Mobile gas today is still the uncontested champ. It's still America's favorite gasoline. Now, mobile gas would like to help you smooth the bumps of wartime driving. So take these tips, folks. One, when your engine's cold... Warm it up for 30 seconds before you drive away. Two, don't tramp on your accelerator. That wastes gas. Press down easy. Three, drive a pace that's neither middle road nor speed nor crawl. You'll get more mileage. Four, don't leave your motor idling. That can eat up gas. Five, this is mine, folks. Switch to mobile gas and get your coupons worth. Get every wartime mile it's possible to give you. Drive in at the sign of the flying red horse. Drive out with mobile gas. Uh, don't go, lady. There's another commercial later in the evening. Uh, thanks, Jack. There's one thing I'd like to add. We don't make any wild claims for our products. We realize our listeners appreciate honest advertising. However, mobile gas does contain sulfonilamide. Ah, <laughs> uh, quiet, pea bristle. Your motor will never catch pneumonia. Marshall didn't rate that applause. Our listeners realized that there was a big man beating his hands together and urging you on to that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate your cooperation, and I think you ought to know right at this point that a little old lady from Little Rock writes me she thinks we ought to have something in our almanac for the young folks. Now, we aim to please, and so with our hand firmly on the pulse of young America, we bring you now a treat for the tiny tots. The Kitty's Corner, conducted by your Uncle Lionel. Good evening.
evening, kiddies. <laughs> you know how Uncle Lionel loves you, little kiddies. <laughs> oh, by the way, Jackie uh, Cribbletaver uh, of 134 South Flores Street, he has a fifth birthday today. Congratulations, Jackie. Now, if you'll just run down to the cellar and shovel all the coal out of the bin, there's a surprise for you near the wall. <laughs> now, go ahead, Jackie. <laughs> When he gets the coal all shoveled out of the bin, will he be surprised? <laughs> there ain't no present there at all. <laughs> uh, and now for our bedtime story. Now, hang on to your seats, my little darlings. Your Uncle Lionel is going to scare you green. Kiddies, your Uncle Lionel has turned aside to make his lightning transformation into the character of a rootin' tootin' old horse and buggy doctor. So we'll start without him. Our story opens in a dentist's office. A young man, our hero, enters and seats himself in the chair. Rip him out. <laughs> what? Rip him out. But your teeth seem perfectly good. So is my money. Pull him out. <laughs> but it wouldn't be ethical to pull out healthy teeth unless there's a reason for it. Pull him out. And so the dentist pulls them all out, and the young man is equipped with his temporary grinders, which he sucks at and gnashes, and pays for with almost his last dollar. He goes out, gets into his roadster, and drives out of town as if pursued by the finance company, as he certainly would be if they caught sight of him. At nightfall, I'll say that again, as he certainly would be if they caught sight of him. <laughs> Thank you, Mother. At nightfall, he arrives at that part of the country where old, miserly uncles live in remote, dilapidated farmhouses. Our young man is fortunate in possessing one of the oldest and richest of these uncles, whose house is the remotest and most dilapidated of all. Arriving at this secluded dwelling, our hero drives up before a porch upon which no money has been squandered for years. So much the more in the old sock. What do you want? The young man is horrified to see a plump blonde whose mouth is white and red, slice of watermelon. She is dressed in what might be called a nurse's uniform, but the fact that her garters are bright puce and magenta causes him to wonder if his dear uncle is getting the very best professional care. Good evening. I have driven all the way from the big city to see my poor, dear, bedridden old uncle. I did not expect to see so charming a nurse. Oh, yeah? <laughs> At this moment, a peculiar sound, like the croaking of giant bullfrogs, arises in the dim depths of the house. This is the good old uncle himself vociferating toothlessly. The old boy knows very well that his relative is after money, and he is eager for the pleasure of turning him down. My dear uncle, what a pleasure it is to see you again. But why are you so thin and pale? You're not so rosy yourself. Hard work, Uncle. It isn't easy to make good these days without any capital. Don't you, uh, drink anymore? No, Uncle, I never drink now. Well, that's tough. In that case, I can't ask you to join me. <laughs> I have, thank heaven, a good doctor. A typical tough, bluff, hard-hitting, straight-shooting country doc of the old school. We call him the horse and buggy doc. He recommends me this as medicine. I suppose you still have your frolic with the girls? <laughs> girls, what an odious suggestion. 
It's years since I've even looked at a girl. That's too bad. The old horse and buggy doc has up-to-date view. It was he who sent me Birdie. And turning to the nurse who happens to be arranging the old man's pillows, he gives her a certain sort of caress, such as is far better imagined than described. Hey, don't go away, Birdie. I'm coming back, honey boy. No wonder, no wonder, my poor old uncle, you are so thin and pale. No paler than you and you're half my age. Well, perhaps your doctor is right. His system is costly. I suppose, dear uncle, you would not care to give me a little money. No, I would not. I thought as much. If you really want to know, I've left it all to the old horse and buggy duck. A true, downright, straight-living, hard-faced, crusty, soft-hearted, country sawbones of the old school. And you cannot imagine how agreeable his treatment is to me. Is that really so? Fortunately, I have made my plans against just such a contingency. Allow me, my dear uncle. Here, the young man twitches the pillow from his uncle's head and presses it over his face. The old uncle gives a kick or two, but what with one thing and another, there's very little life left in him, and soon that little is gone. The nephew undresses, borrows his uncle's nightshirt, then stowing the shrunken body under the bed. He climbs into uncle's place between the sheets. Finally, placing his false teeth into a clean pocket handkerchief, which he has brought especially for that purpose, our hero leans back upon the pillows, the very spit and image of the old man. Birdie! Birdie! Why, honey boy, where's your worthless nephew gone? Well, he just slipped out for a stroll. I've misjudged that young man. I want you to send for the lawyer so that I can do him justice in the will. Why, Daddy, what's made this change in you? Change? Well, there's no change in me, my dear, except perhaps I feel my latter end approaching. Otherwise, I'm just the same. And to reassure her on this point, he gives her a friendly little caress, exactly as his uncle had done. <laughs> Where's Mr. Peebrestle? The nephew lies at his ease, waiting only for the arrival of the lawyer. I shall dictate a new will and sign it before the eyes of the lawyer in the old man's crabbed hand. I shall replace my poor uncle in the bed, put on my clothes... Put back my teeth. What's that? Here a large, rough-hewn individual strides into the room. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you've come. I'm eager to make out a new will. I wish to leave everything to my nephew. Ha, <laughs> ha, my dear old friend. I fear your malady has reached the brain. Who would have thought my old pal could have mistaken me for the lawyer? <laughs> You must let me make a brief examination. With that, he pulls down the sheet and begins to probe his nephew, or rather the nephew, with a hard... It isn't that funny. Everybody makes mistakes. <laughs> I see. You don't want jokes. You want mistakes. <laughs> with that, the old rootin' tootin' horse and buggy doctor pulls down the sheet. We'll get back to the script if it takes three hours. <laughs> And begins to probe the nephew with a hard and horny finger. Finger. The nephew realizes too late that this is no lawyer, but the horse and buggy doctor himself. <laughs> I fear this much. There's something very wrong somewhere in here. I must act at once. 
And as he speaks, he turns the nephew over in his bed and whisks out from his black bag a monster hypodermic. Fortunately, I am always prepared for emergencies. The young man hardly knows what to say, fearing that his uncle will be found out of the bed and circumstances would tend to his prejudice. The doctor, all in a moment, ejects a pint of icy fluid into the small of his back, which numbs his whole middle and paralyzes all his faculties. <laughs> except that of rolling the eyes, which he indulges to to the point of excess. <laughs> I'm only an old, rough, tough, gold-darn horse and buggy duck, but I keep abreast of the time. Mental derangement is often caused by abdominal derangement. If you'll get out my instruments, nurse, I think we'll soon find the source of the trouble. In a moment, the unfortunate nephew is laid open under his own eyes. <laughs> which, which he never ceases to roll. The doctor unpacks him like a Gladstone bag. <laughs> Miss Inkfeather? Yeah? Hot water. Cold water. Cold water, then. <laughs> Take this and put it on the washstand. Yeah? Put these on the chair. Yeah. Now, don't get them mixed up or I'll have the devil of a job getting them back together again. <laughs> It's a pity that nephew isn't back. It's more ethical to have the consent of a relative before operating. Mm. I see nothing wrong with this kidney, C considering the age of the patient. Here, put it on that chest of drawers. <laughs> Hang these over the bed rail. <laughs> Pull the candle a little closer. I still haven't found the cause of his madness. Look out! Don't let it drip all over the place. It's hardly hygienic. Anyway, he certainly is crazy. He wouldn't think of leaving his money to that scalawag of a nephew. It's just as well you let me know, my dear, instead of bothering the lawyer. When this is all over, we'll take a little trip together. Saying this, he gives the nurse a caress similar to that which both uncle and nephew had bestowed on her. <laughs> the sight of this causes our hero to roll his eyes for the last time, and next moment, he is a goner. Ah, dear me, I fear we've lost our patient. Well, after all, I did my best for the old boy, and he remembered me in his will. <laughs> Just think, had he lived, he might have altered it. Hand me over those things, will you, dear? Thanks. I'll put him back, roughly, into position. Nebby will be back shortly. I reckon he'd hate to see him lying around, I'm sure. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. And so the rough old typical tough bluff, hard-hitting, straight-shooting, rootin', tootin', rusty, crusty, rip-snortin', gall-darn, horse-and-buggy duck. And Bertie the nursey lived happily ever afterwards. Good night, kiddies. <laughs> Four thousand cars are being scrapped each day. In many cases, this is why. Their owners neglected to change oil regularly. So keep your precious buggy rolling. Change oil often and change for good to good, fresh mobile oil. It's tough. It's made especially to fight impurities and guard your engine's vital parts from wear. You see, you're driving slower these days and you're making shorter trips. Well, with that kind of driving, 
your oil gets watery and dirtier quicker. Now you can waste power, waste your gasoline, and run up big repair bills. Now, I'll let you in on something. We surveyed 10,000 cars not long ago, and six out of every ten needed fresh oil. So have your crankcase filled up frequently with mobile oil, the largest selling motor oil on earth. You'll find it at the sign of the Flying Red Horse. And, uh... That was split-second Lud Gluskin and his Merry Melodians, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, our astrology department, by the way, says tomorrow is a good day to set eggs. That, that's really what they asked me to tell you. And here's a fine old recipe for clearing the skin. Uh, rub it with a tomato twice a day. That's really an old recipe. This being an almanac, Lud Gluskin, if he can pull his little scripts together, is celebrating with a Victor Herbert song, the anniversary of Victor Herbert's birthday. Carnegie once said that his idea of heaven would be to hear, thank you, Mrs. Gluskin. <laughs> Andrew Carnegie once said that his... <laughs> stick around, we'll think of something funny yet. Andrew Carnegie, this was supposed to be a touching moment, too. Andrew Carnegie once said that his idea of heaven would be to hear Victor Herbert twice a day. And let's hope it turned out just the way he wanted it. And right here is where you're supposed to applaud Mr. Gluskin. Please do so. I guess I was one of the first people ever to hear that song. You know, Victor Herbert plays it for me himself. Well, while we're on the subject of music, Lionel, I'd, I'd like to invite you to come around next week and here, a new composition we're playing on this program. The music was written by somebody called Lionel Barrymore. Really was. Come around next week, Lionel, hear what we do with it. I'll be here, Orson. I'll be here. Now, go on with your own life. Well, a Friday, I think, is a better anniversary for national celebration than George Washington's birthday. 155 years ago Friday, George Washington was unanimously elected our first president. 
As some words Washington spoke, words I'd like spoken again on this program. I'm going to ask Lionel Barrymore to read them to us. Citizens by birth or choice of a common country, the name of American belongs to you. The unity of government, which constitutes you one people, is a main pillar in the edifice of your real independence, of that very liberty which you so highly prize. It's easy to foresee that from different causes and from different quarters, much pains will be taken, many artifices employed to weaken in your minds the conviction of this truth. Uh, this is the point in your political fortress against which the batteries of internal and external enemies will be most con constantly and actively, although often covertly and insidiously directed. It is of moment that you should properly estimate the immense value of your national union to your collective and individual happiness, that you should watch for its preservation with jealous anxiety, indignantly frowning upon the first dawning of every attempt to alienate any portion of our country from the rest. Thanks, Lionel. Time to say good night now, everybody. The makers of mobile oil and mobile gas and all of us in the Mercury Theater remain, as always, obediently yours. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.